Last week, we began a, a short series, hopefully, on 10 words that the world hates. I don't know if we're going to do all 10 now that I've re-looked at it, but we can talk about all 10, not a whole sermon, not a whole sermon on each of the 10. But I want to spend a little more time this morning on the first one we talked about last week. Now, let's get a basis for our sermon, as we did last week, from this passage in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. John says, We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, meaning present tense, keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I don't think it's a coincidence that after he says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, the next verse he tells us that Jesus Christ is true. Because he's already told us, we're going to see a little bit later in John 8, this same author through the Holy Spirit tells us that that Satan is a liar from the beginning. And so we know that the truth and Satan don't go together. And yet the whole world that we see, and he used the world here in the sense of all the kingdoms of the earth and all the peoples of the earth, we're under the influence of Satan. We like to think of the fact that in the Garden of Eden in the beginning that man was pure and there was no sin, which is true in the beginning. But the truth is that Man was not without the under, was, has always been under the influence of sin. Human beings have always, from the moment of their creation, been under the influence of sin because Satan was in the Garden of Eden. And he influenced people right there at the beginning. And we don't know the time frame of this, but from the beginning, Satan has always tried to influence people. And, and he hasn't had that difficult a time with a lot of people because it became obvious that even you read the book of Genesis, as the nations walked away from the Tower of Babel after God divided their languages, the Bible says they all walked in their own way. And what that means is they walked away from God and developed their own idols, their own ways of thinking from the very beginning. And so they've always been under the sway of the lies that Satan tells. And that's no different than today. This is not written uh, about uh, as a prophecy about the 21st century in America, this is a statement that's always been true to one degree or another. And the truth is, the servants of God have always been in a minority as one's trying to hold on to that which is true because most people believe what they want to believe. They don't believe, look for what is true. They look for what is true to them, what they think is true because it pleases them in some way. You know, it's like that show... Uh, Amazon's been advertising what the Constitution means to me. I think I've mentioned this before. I, I about, you know, I, I just can't hardly stand to see that. Come what the Constitution means to me. Not what the Constitution means, which would be a better show, if well, not, not if Amazon produced it, but uh, what the Constitution means is worthwhile. What the Constitution means to me probably isn't worthwhile, but that's how we are. It's always been that way. Whatever view of life a person can hold that benefits them in some way and keeps them from dealing with who they are is usually what human beings do. Never been any different. Now, these words, I mentioned them last week, are truth, words the world hates, 
Fornication, can't say that word. That hardly exists in the modern world, fornication. Did you know that? Fornication is just gone from American society. There's almost no fornicators because you can't even say the word. We call them all different things. We call them lovers. Don't we? Significant others, we call them. When you read the word significant other, what you're reading is the word fornicator. Am I wrong? We'll come back to that. But anyway, repentance, unheard of in the modern world. A concept that implies that there's something you need to change about yourself that's not according to what it ought to be. Uh, modesty. The idea that I ought to dress and act in a way that reflects sobriety and modesty and appropriateness and not just sexuality or whatever it may be. Hell. Oh, my goodness. You can, only time you hear that if it's a curse word. You hear that word hell. Uh, authority. We're going to hear a lot more about that in some years to come here, except it'll be the authority of the federal government, but not the authority of God. And sin. Can't say that word. Salvation. Who needs to be saved today in America? Not many people. Just people. Oh, never mind. Self-control. Maybe the most difficult of all of these to gain. Because if you can gain self-control, you can do something about the rest of these things. And then subjection. Whether it's subjection to a husband or a government or to your wife or whatever it may be, we don't want to be in subjection. We are the masters of our destiny, and if we can dream it, we can do it. And we're in complete control of our lives. That's what our children are being taught from preschool on. And uh, maybe there's some merit in some of those things, but there's certainly a whole lot of lies embedded in the teaching of those things. To our young people. But those are some of the words. And the reason that the world hates truth is because truth is anchored in God himself. The Bible pictures when God created the world, he created a world that was bound by certain laws and understanding of the way things were from the beginning of creation and that he is in control of that. The Bible also pictures, without can't have time to deal with this this morning, but the Bible pictures e even the truth of when God revealed the tabernacle and the temple and its designs and measurements, that all those things were reflective of the truth of God's nature himself. He says that we are made in God's image, which says that man's nature is reflective of a truth in the heavens that we can't see. And it's an important thing to hold on to that fact. So truth is anchored in God himself. Why is it wrong to commit fornication? Because it's, it's not true to the nature of God and man. Why is it wrong to lie? Because God is truth, that's why. And it grieves the Holy Spirit, he says in Ephesians 5, when we lie and do not tell the truth, because the Holy Spirit is about truth, the truth of God. And so truth is anchored in God himself. In the modern world, though, we want it, we've tried in our, in our country, and in this, well, really around the world, postmodern culture in all the Western countries, is the idea that man is now detached from reality. So, as you'll see, we can call a person with male genitalia, we can call them a woman. We can say that men can have babies because we've detached the meaning of those words from reality and made them what we want them to be. And, then, and the truth is, everybody now is supposed to, by law, acknowledge and bow down to the lie and respect the lie. Are you going to be able to do that? See, you, you and I, most of us would believe that's a lie to say that you're born a man and you're now, and now you're a woman and you want me to acknowledge that lie. That forms, that's a difficult thing to do for people. 
But the reason it doesn't bother a lot of people is because they're detached from the reality that God made the world. The Bible says at the very beginning that he made them male and female. That's truth. We don't like the truth sometimes. I know most of you girls want to be men. I understand why, because we're better. But, you know, you can't see the tongue in my cheek. And all you women have been taught that women are better than men. That's what most women in America are taught by churches. That women are more emotional and more sensitive. And, and if the world was run by women, things would all be so much better. I don't think so at all. I have no reason to believe that. Why? Because the Bible doesn't indicate that at all. That it'd be better if women ran the whole world. It'd be better if good men ran the world and good women were with them. But we are willing to believe any kind of a lie that distorts the truth of the nature of God and His revelation because it suits our purposes, political or spiritual or personal. And therefore, that's why, and that's why the world hates truth. Now, uh, uh, let's skip a bunch of stuff we looked at uh, uh, last week, and I think we can go here. Just, just something to think about. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 96, He's coming. God is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with what? His truth. Yep, so God has his truth. You have your truth, God has his truth. What's he say is going to happen in the end? You better hope your truth lines up with his because you're going to be judged on his truth, not your truth. Now, we mentioned this last week, but I want to read this again because I think this is a significant verse. At least it is in my thinking in so many areas of the New Testament, understanding the world as it is today. But Paul, Jesus was asking the people, they said, we don't understand who you are. Tell us plainly if you're the Messiah and all this. And he says, why don't you understand what I'm saying to you? You say you don't hear me or understand me. Why don't you understand my speech? John 8, 43. Because you are not able to listen to my word. You won't even give hear, you won't even listen to it. You ever had that conversation with some people? You're trying to tell them something and they don't even really listening because what you're going to say doesn't suit what they want to know. And so it's all just, thrown away. It's like bullets off Superman. Your words are. Because they don't want to hear it. You've had kids like this. You've had colleagues like this. They don't want to listen to the truth because it doesn't suit what they what they want. You, he says to these people, those Jews of that day, these leaders, verse 44, you're of your father the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Like father, like son. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. It comes out of his own mind. It doesn't come out of God's mind. God didn't give him the lie. He got them on his own. For he's a liar and the father of it. And why don't you want to do what I, what I tell you? Why don't you believe what I tell you? Why don't you even listen to what I tell you? Because you don't want to do what I know you should do. There it is, plain and simple. Why do people reject the truth of the Bible? Because they do not want to live as the Bible says they should live. It isn't that hard. Now, that sounds terrible. And I, I sound, I'm not angry about this. I spent a good, most of my life talking with this thing, thing about a lot of different people, with a lot of different people. And it isn't about hating or being mad or whatever the case may be or being judgmental. I have to understand going in and teaching most people that they don't really want to do anything except what they want to do. And that's why they're not going to listen to what the Bible says. If I don't understand that going in, I can't teach them. I want to help them get over that, not just condemn them. 
Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save it. That's why they should be listening. But a lot of people are not going to listen to you because they're committing fornication and they don't want to stop. Or they think they might want to commit fornication someday. They don't want to lock themselves into saying, I can't. They might need a new wife sometime. They might not want to keep the wife they got, get a new one. They don't want to listen to what the Bible says about that. Just on the possibility. You know, the, the, the guy that goes around introducing this person is my first wife. You know, they just got married. They're on the honeymoon. Well, this is my first wife. That's how they introduce each other. That's how, that's how it looks to me sometimes, the way they act. This is my first wife. And they're not still on their, chill at the wedding. They don't want to do what God wants them to do. And therefore, it's very difficult to communicate with them. Notice this scripture. It's even more enlightening, and it's very sad. This is that chapter in Romans 1 that we quote so often, where God, through Paul, is listing the sins of the Gentile nations. He's going to go to chapter 2, list the sins of the Jews. But here he's listing the sins of the Gentile nations as a, as a group, not, not as individuals per se, but as a group. Not everybody was like this. But he says, the wrath of heaven is, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Righteousness. I think the King James has to hinder the truth in unrighteousness. Something like that. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them, and he says, therefore, they are without excuse. And he goes on to list all their sins, the sins of fornication and, and homosexuality and lying and deceitfulness and all the other things he lists, backbiters, all the other things. And then he even condemns those who consent with those who do these things. Verse 30 and 31, God condemns those who go along with what other people are doing so they will not risk disapproval. They consent or have pleasure in those who practice these things, even if... They're not going to do it themselves. They don't ever, will never say this is wrong. That's an important verse too. But notice that phrase, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What does that mean? It means that the reason that certain truths have to be suppressed is because they want to do that which is unrighteous. In order to be able to freely do that which is unrighteous or wicked, they have to suppress the truth about these things from people. That's why your kids are taught that a, a pregnant woman is just carrying a blob of cells in her body. She's not carrying a human being with human DNA and uh, all that, not really a person. It's a blob of cells. I've heard young ladies tell me this. They're being taught this somewhere because people need to suppress the actual truth of that so they can continue to prom promote unrighteousness. That's my view. Get your own view if you want one. One illustration of this, maybe a big one, but there's plenty of this. Don't, don't we suppress the truth in our, even our own personal lives because we want what we want? I mean, some people think you can roll a toilet paper, you know, over the back. And they suppress the truth about this. I'm kidding. You know, there's a, there is a good reason to roll your toilet paper over the back instead of over the front. It, that was the biggest some of you are too, old, uh, too young to know Ann Landers, but I think this was the biggest topic of discussion she ever had in her 50 years of giving advice. Which way to roll the toilet paper on the, put the toilet paper on the roll. See, people just eaten up with real difficult problems in life. But you know why you should, if you want to, somebody like Karen needs to roll over the back because cats can't unroll it then. Huh? If you if you're all over the front, cats can stand there and do this. So can kids. 
more easily. So anyway, there is a logical reason, but if I come to your house, I'm going to switch it. Anyway, <laughs> I've done that so many times. I can't stand it. Anyway, but the truth has been suppressed about these things. Notice this in 2 Thessalonians. He talks about the coming of a lawless one, man of iniquity. I'm not sure when this is. Maybe it's already passed. Indications here it's already passed. He's going to come according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Not just wonders. These are things that look like miracles or wonders, but they're not. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why are they perishing? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. There it is. You and I are in danger. I'm not just talking about other people now. You and I are in danger of being lost because we are willing to, to suppress the truth. And that comes from the fact that we don't love the truth. People say they're seeking the truth. Are they really? Sometimes they're seeking just to justify what they're already doing. People that come to me for advice, a good percentage of them are really, really what they want me to tell them is you're doing everything okay. You know, they'll tell me all the reasons their life is a wreck, their marriage is a wreck. But what they really want me to say is you're doing everything right, just keep doing what you're doing. And of course, what they're doing has got them where they are, but they don't really have a love of the truth oftentimes. That includes me too, about things about me. People have told me things about my personality years ago and, and, um, you know, I still fight it. Still argue about it. It's hard to get a personality transplant though. I've looked into that. It's hard to get a personality transplant. I need one. But the fact is, if you don't receive a love of the truth, if you're not really seeking to know what God says is true, you will be end up being deceived. You are ripe for picking for false teachers and other people, both on, both in the world and in the church. These false teachers. Then you have this reading. He says, that, that, this reason God will send them strong delusions. They'll be deceived even more and more because they should that they should believe a lie because they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here he links up Having believing a lie and having pleasure in unrighteousness again. It's not just me making up something for a sermon. There's several times in the New Testament where he tells you that unrighteousness is linked to not having a love of the truth. We all know where all the wickedness comes from. Why do people do bad things? There it is. So we live in this post-truth world where our feelings trump our facts. This is from Time Magazine. And it relates to circumstances in which the objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than the appeals to emotion and personal belief. Well, there's never been a time when that is not somewhat true. Okay? Somewhat true. But we really are living in a post-truth time. And I've mentioned this word before to you, post-modernism. You know, you had the, the ancient world, the medieval world, and you had the modern world, and now we've moved into the post-modern world. The modern world, since the time of the Renaissance was the idea that man could take his faculties and he could find the truth about the natural world around him in the sciences and other things, and he could use his mind to understand these things and come to some truth. Instead of just believing what some Catholic Pope said about the earth and the sun or whatever, how to, how to torture witches, we could find the truth about these things by using our faculties. That It was called the Enlightenment to some degree, and America was somewhat founded on that idea that humans can know the truth, and they believed in the natural law that men could know from they could know from nature what was good and right from about men to do. That's where we get the idea that all men are created equal from natural law. 
Now, here's the trouble with that statement. That came from the Enlightenment period. That was the modern era. And now we live in the postmodern era, which means we've come to the conclusion philosophically that no one can really know what the truth is. No one can understand what truth is. If you go about in your job, especially if you're an academic or something, and you talk about knowing the truth, you're going to get some quizzical looks because really they're going to think you're a country rube or something uneducated. Because they all know philosophically you can't really know the truth. Humans cannot really even communicate. Words are meaningless things. That's why it's so easy to change the definitions. You and I think words have meanings and they should be understood. But in the postmodern world among the intellectuals that control our culture at every level, they know that words don't really mean anything. A modern French play illustrated this some years back. I forgot the name of the play, but on the play, all the people are walking around in the play on the stage on all fours, and they're barking at each other. Bark, woo, woo, woo. They're all barking at each other. Well, we would call that nonsense if we're someone like me or most of you, but it wasn't nonsense of the guy who wrote it. It was illustrating something. Human beings can't know the truth. They can't really communicate. They never know anything. They don't even know if they're alive or not. I had a philosophy professor in college debating me whether I, I existed or not, or whether he existed or not. I know he was sort of playing games, but not really. And you can't know these things because humans are limited and, and it's hidden from us. All of us have our own individual truth. Then we come up with the other, everybody has their own individual truth. That's where you come from this. No one can really get to the truth. That's where moral, then moral relativism takes hold. That what's good, right for you is not right for me. And I can do this if I want to. So we got the whole, whole package. Now we're living, uh, midstream of this postmodern world. But that's why we have trouble communicating politically in our country even. Because we use words, but the words are constantly changing. We don't even really know what they mean. Even simple words like male and female. We don't even know what they mean anymore. And you better get the right definition this year because next year that's going to change on the whim of some other intellectual who says some other thing. And so now you better adjust to that. We're just drift. We're just endlessly adrift. And it's a sad situation. Notice what these atheists, though, say about this. This is atheism and it's agnosticism coming to play in our life. Considered as a rationally justifiable set of claims about an objective something, it, ethics is illusory. Ethics, three branches of philosophy, metaphysics, how the world is, epistemology, how we know what the world is, and ethics, how we ought to act in relation to this. That's what the Greeks, how they define philosophy, those three categories. And you can read all about this if you study any kind of philosophy or philosophy of religion. And, and they're, they're right about that. They're, those are important ideas, thought to be discussed there philosophically. And the Bible deals with those subjects just not in the way that the Greeks did. But the idea of ethics, that is what's right or wrong or good or bad for someone to do morally, he says is illusory. It's just an illusion. I appreciate that when somebody says, love thy neighbor as thyself, they think they're referring above and beyond themselves. Nevertheless, to a Darwinian evolutionist, it can be seen that such a reference is truly without foundation. Morality is just an aid to survival, and, the repro and reproduction has no being beyond or without this. Now, this is from the atheist uh, Michael Ruse. So he says here, I can appreciate somebody who is uneducated saying, love thy neighbors thyself. And they think that we're speaking of some higher being that's told us this. And we place ourselves under his authority. And so we try to love our neighbors ourselves. And we think that would be a good thing to do. He said that that's all an illusion. 
Because since there is no God up there and all of us got here by evolution, a Darwin, he says that this has nothing to do with reality at all. Uh, I'm not going forward here for some reason. Here's another one that is maybe the finish of this quote here. Morality is an ephemeral product of the evolution. Ephemeral means something that kind of appears for a short time and isn't really real or important. Ephemeral. A vision, a fant fantasy. Morality is an ephemeral product of the evolutionary process, just as are other adaptations. It has no existence or being beyond this, and any deeper meaning is illusory. So, morality is nothing except an adaptation that people have made living in a hostile world and how to live with each other. We make up these rules on our own. And there's no real idea that to tell a lie is evil and that God's going to judge you or that lying is bad in some existential sense. That isn't real. It's an illusion. So we just create these rules so society can get along. And what, he, what eventually it boils down to is the only person that can make the rules is who has the most guns or the most votes, whichever it is. So usually the most guns are behind the most votes. That's who gets to make the rules. Well, isn't evolution about the survival of the fittest? The, the strong control the weak? That's what evolution's about. That's the only, the only morality is to be strong because then you can be powerful and control others. And that's where we are. There's no idea of calling our government uh, to bear on the true, true nature of man. Our presidents used to talk about this, that they really were uh, dependent upon God to guide them, and they had some, there was some real evidence of this. But it hasn't been true for a while. Most of them are only guided by what they can get away with and who's going to support them and what power they can exert. And that's a, that's a result of this postmodern thinking. And so that's the problem. It's just an ephemeral thing, this idea of truth is, that we need to worry about here. Now then, um, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, said, the universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. He, when he looked at the world, all he saw was the universe that showed him it was piteously indifferent to human existence altogether. And so there's no truth, no purpose, no evil, no good, no nothing. In reality, that's the truth, he would say. The truth is that there is no truth. Oddly enough, the only absolute truth to these folks is that there is no such thing as truth. Now, when you get to that point, when you come to believe that... Now, my contention in reality is nobody lives like this exactly. They say they do, but they don't really live like this. They can't live like this. I confronted some of them on a college campus about this very idea that they're, they just got here by these blind forces. And one of them was sitting next to his girlfriend. It looked to me like they were girlfriends. They were holding, holding each other's hands and hugging each other. And I said, you there, you, right there, you, you're, you're arguing with me. What is this thing sitting next to you? Who is that? What is that? Well, she's my girlfriend. I said, do you love her? Yeah. No, you don't. It's just a chemical reaction that took place in your body urging you to reproduce yourself for some reason. And that's what you're calling love. There's no real person sitting there. What you're calling a person that you say you love. How can you love a chemical reaction? 
What kind of person are you? You love a chemical reaction. That's all she is, a chemical reaction. And he got all defensive, and everybody else was looking kind of puzzled. I said, that's all it is. If you're going to tell me that we all are here by chance, that's all that it is, is chance, a bunch of chemical reactions. So how can you say, I love my mother, and you shouldn't blow her brains out today? You have no reason to say this. Any more than you can say, I should stop this chemical reaction from ta ta taking place. But you and I know this isn't the truth. We know this isn't the truth about man, about love, about husbands, wives, children. We know this isn't the truth. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. But once men decide they want to do whatever they want to do, they will suppress this truth as much as they can to be able to do what they want to do. Governments will do it. People will do it. Teachers will do it. Preachers will do it. Whatever it may be. And so we have this in the postmodern culture. And the attack has moved from the personal to the psychological to nature and science. First, we say, well, I don't know anything. I don't, I can't really know everything. And so since I can't know everything, maybe I can't know anything. We say that about ourselves and we're, we're doubtful that we can ever know the truth. And then it moves into psychology where we begin to talk about no one really understanding themselves even, much less other people. There's no real truth. You remove sin from psychology and you got a big problem with this because that was about accountability. Sin means that there is a truth that a person is accountable to and they fail doing that. They fail to be accountable to the truth. And that's what sin means. That's why you remove sin from psychology. And now it's moved on to nature and science. We can't even know how many, how many sexes there are. I use this as an example because it's the most current one, the most obvious one that's very destructive, but it's destructive to the people that are involved in it, not just to me. It doesn't affect me that much, but it's now moved to science. We can't really know anything. Can we? This is a major source of polarization we see in our society rapidly building because we have a lot of people that say there is such a thing as truth and righteousness. Other people say that's all illusory and doesn't mean anything and we can do whatever we want. Can't know anything. When you get those two groups of people trying to form a society together, it becomes very difficult for them, for them to write laws, interact with each other over time. They become polarized over this. And even the ones who say there's no truth get polarized over what they think is truth. It isn't just the opposition to the people who think there's truth. No one can live consistently with the notion that there is no truth. They do not live, they talk about that as a, intellectual, but they don't live consistently with it at all. Because we all know that there's such a thing as what's true. And Jesus claims to be Lord over creation and man, and he defines the truth in all the, these errors. He's Lord over creation. He made it with his own power. He has the right to tell me what really is true and what is. And he's, he made man, and he has the right to tell me what's good and bad for me. Because he's the Lord. Now that's what the truth in the Bible is. That's what most of us believe, whether we can state it in those words or not. And that's why we have a lot of problems today in thinking about this. So the Bible indicates that there is an objective reality that exists apart from my perception. This is here whether I think it's here or not. And if you follow me around all day, you see that I run up against that law all the time. Because I'm walking and, you know, that bookcase is there whether I see it or not and I fall over it. Don't I, Judy? Yes. Got mad yesterday because two different times within 15 minutes I tripped over, almost fell over the girl's book bag, which was in the floor, where it shouldn't be. 
It was there all the time, but it didn't appear it was there to me. And so I stumbled over the truth, literally stumbled over the truth. The Bible says, yes, there's an objective reality that exists apart from my perception. And it, it's separate than me. The world is separate than me and my perceptions. It exists whether I perceive it or not. Truth is there whether I understand it or not. I can't see the four moons of Jupiter with my bare eyes. So does that mean they don't exist because I can't see them? Put a telescope up, I can sometimes see them. I told you the other day, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen a hummingbird in the wild, except maybe once. I just don't see. She sees hummingbirds all the time. I, I think she's making it up. I don't think I've ever seen a shooting star that I can recall. you got to point me in exactly the right direction and say, it's going to be right there. You know, Does that mean they don't exist? Well, postmodern world, they don't exist. Finding the truth takes a measure of objectivity. I have to step back and say, well, maybe I don't know everything. Let me see if I can understand my presuppositions about this. Maybe I've got, maybe I've got something wrong. Maybe I'm not looking the right place. And you can find the truth in when you, this used to be the base of science. A measure of objectivity about the nature of the world and finding out what it was, whether we understood it right now or not, and not deciding what science is based upon our political understanding of things. For all those who condemn the popes for what they did to science with their religion, they're doing the same thing today with their religion, their secular religion. Trying to tell us things that aren't true based upon their presuppositions of their philosophies. It's the same thing. And it'll lead nowhere. We need a measure of objectivity. The truth is to be sought and acquired, meaning it's not innate in us. We have to seek it and, and try to acquire the truth. We just don't know. Kids think they know everything, and life slowly teaches them that they don't. But so it takes humility to find the truth, to realize you don't know everything. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't make you humble to say there's no such thing as reality. It makes you arrogant to say there's no such thing as reality or truth. Not humble. humble humility is saying, yeah, it's there. I just don't know it, or I'm trying to find it. And I need help doing that. So are you living uh, the idea that the main goal of life is personal peace and prosperity? Oh, how many of our fellow citizens are living with that idea in mind, whether they can say it or not, that the person, that the goal in life is my personal peace and prosperity. That's all there is to life that makes any difference. Well, you need to repent of that idea. That's wrong. The Bible says that's not a true life's goal or something is right. Uh, or all sex outside marriage, one man, one woman, for, for life is sin. If you don't believe that, then you need to repent. You need to come to the knowledge of the truth. God created one man, one woman. This exhausts the options. Do you believe that? I think we know that. I just don't think we want to know that. Some people don't. No one enters heaven without actually obeying and following Christ. Do you believe that? No, no. I, I just think anybody, all people are good and God's going to save everybody. And, you know, Uncle Joe, who is a serial adulterer, dies of cancer and we say he's better off now. Really? You think so? That's not what the Bible says. He's not better off now. There's this old saying, which I hate to contemplate on, going from the frying pan to the fire. And then to tell lies, any untruth is to side with Satan, the father of lies, whose condemnation is sure. That's a hard one. To tell any lie, and I raise my hand, I've lied before. Nobody else going to raise your hand? Oh, never mind. I didn't ask you to do that. But 
we don't like to say that. It's hard. But that's a sin. And the condemnation of those who don't repent of lying and, and come, to a, come to love the truth, however hard it is, will be sure. No one actually loves Jesus, the bridegroom. I'll tell you what's going to happen. The Bible calls Jesus a rock of stumbling. You know that book bag I mentioned that stumbled over? At the end of time, a lot of people are going to stumble over Jesus Christ and ride into the pit because they re refuse to see what the truth is. No one actually loves Jesus, the bridegroom, without loving his bride, the church. Being spiritual without religious is a lie. And I got some of these from somebody else, but I want you to think about that. And then in closing... Notice what the Bible says about these early Christians. Paul traveled around these various synagogues, not Christians, he, these, are the, these are Jews that he's talking about here. He went to various synagogues and he got kicked out of a few of them for preaching about Jesus Christ. Just reading from the Old Testament scriptures and preaching about Jesus from that. But then he came to this little town called Berea. These were more fair-minded or noble, it says, than those in Thessalonica. These Jews in this synagogue were more noble or fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. What they illustrated, he calls it here, fair-mindedness or nobility. It's humility also to realize that they didn't know everything and so they listened to this man who came and taught them about Jesus and they compared what he was saying and what they could read in the scriptures with what, what was true, and they were fair about judging it. The other Jews dismissed it with a wave of the hand because it didn't suit them. But these became Christians because they were fair-minded. This, this is what's required of us, to search the Scriptures to find out what, what is true and live by that because there's something that's true. Even if we, if we have any kind of job or interaction with other people, our job is to seek what is true and live according to that, even if it's hard on us. So I thank you for listening this morning. Apologize for going over. I didn't mean to talk this long. But I wanted, wanted to end up this section on the truth today. And as we close our assembly, we're going to sing number, number 125, Do You Know My Jesus? What's Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. There you go. This is what you need. And he'll tell you not only what's true for the church building, or in, in the church, but what's true for all of your life and how you ought to live, the thing that's most important. So today, if we can help you by helping you to repent of a sin or a wrong and turning away from a life that's not right, we'll help you do that this morning if you're a, not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, come. We'll baptize you into Christ, into his death. You can be raised up to be a new creature, part of a new life. Can we help you today? Let's stand and sing. An addendum. I said several things today about... Uh, transgender uh, that transgender issue and I don't want you to think that I'm unsympathetic to the problems that people who are afflicted with that have I'm not unsympathetic to that at all it is a terrible thing to be conflicted about that but I think I would be doing a disservice to them by saying yeah everything's going to be fine it's going to work out great for you you just have to switch because that doesn't, that doesn't provide a solution either because it doesn't fit what's true and, and so that's my point about that, not to be unsympathetic and so forth. But on the other hand, what we have in our country then is a few extremists on, in part of this that didn't, didn't want to force everybody to do something about it, which I will also resist. But I don't think we should treat people who are homosexual or transsexual 
in any mean or, or ungodly way. I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't believe that's what's right and good. We can oppose the truth, oppose error. We can tell people to repent and help them. We shouldn't be ugly or uh, uh, hard on them in that way. Most of these people need a great deal of sympathy and compassion, in my opinion. Now, anyway, that's just what I wanted to say at the end of that.